The reading is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 33. Treasures in heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable, valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Super. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles again with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we were in this passage a couple of weeks ago, whenever we were thinking about uh, thou shall not steal, or you shall not steal. But we're back into this passage because it's got so much to teach us this morning. Matthew chapter 6, and from verse 19. And we're thinking about that commandment found in Exodus 20 and verse 17 that says this, and I'll read it, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So as we approach this this morning, here's the question that I want to begin with, and it's this, what do you want more than anything else in all the world? What do you want more than anything else in all the world? What would you say? Well, there's a lady called Kathy Caprino, and she's a global career and leadership coach. And she said that, or she has written an article, the 10 things in life that people want but can't seem to get. And here are the top three. First, happiness. She says people don't know what they want. They are confused. They fear. And that is what causes unhappiness. People long to be happy. Second, money, not having enough money to accomplish what we want, which she says is our second greatest need or want. And then the third is freedom, to pursue the purpose of our life. Happiness, money, freedom. They're the top three within the top ten of things that people want most in life. And so we live in a world, don't we, of desire. We desire different things all of the time, different wants. 
And whenever we come to this commandment, and it talks about covet, covet is a, is a word that we don't really use anymore, especially for our young people. If you're thinking this morning about what does it mean to covet, that's a strange word. Well, covet can be translated desire. It can be translated from the Hebrew as desire. In Genesis 3 and, and verse 6, that's what Eve is described as doing. She desired the fruit to make one wise. And so, as we covet, it's really this, this meaning of desire or craving or hankering after what someone else has. And this is the, the sin of covetousness, covetousness. It hides in our hearts. We're longing for something. We want something that others have. Just like we thought about with the boys and girls, that's a really good illustration for us. We, we want to take with our two hands what other people have. Now, as we grow up, perhaps we're better at hiding that, and it dwells deep within us. And this is the, this is the real problem with this uh, commandment. It, it, it dwells deep down in our hearts. Whenever we talk about murder or, or stealing or honoring our parents or not telling lies, they're, they're things that we see often on the outside, aren't, aren't they? But whenever it comes to coveting, desiring, wanting what others have, often it hides deep down in here. But it generates bitterness. It generates a lack of contentment. Now, again, let's remember as we, as we finish this series, what, what's going on with the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are, are, are able to be distilled down into the saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first four. And then to love your neighbor as yourself, the, the final six. And God gives us these to help us prosper as humans. It's the design for our life. It's the best way to live. And as we come to the 10th commandment, what we want to do today is we want to think about how it affects us first of all, what it looks like for us, how it plays itself out in our lives, and then we're going to look at how we can correct that in God. So on the screen, boys and girls, uh, you're, uh, young people, you're thinking about this commandment. Here's uh, something that you can write down if you're taking notes, and I know you are. It's the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and it's question 81. And this is what we use often as we think about different subjects within the church, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it talks about the 10th commandment as this. Now, it uses some language that's probably a little bit old, but it's really helpful for us. The 10th commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate. So what, the, what we have, the things that we have in our life, it, it forbids discontentment. It, it tells us that we shouldn't be envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and that all inordinate emotions and affections to anything that is his. And so what we're, what we're saying here in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is that if our neighbor has something, boys and girls, young people, if they've got something that we don't have, we should, we should not see that as a bad thing. We should see that as a good thing. We should celebrate with them and that we shouldn't envy, that we shouldn't desire, that we shouldn't want the things that are theirs. But as we think about this then, we start to think about desires, and it's really hard for us to think, uh, what, what's a good desire and what's a bad desire? How do we distinguish these desires? How do we distinguish this morning if we're covering or if we're not covering this morning? So let, let's think about it. Here's, here's a question. Is it wrong for me to have uh, or to think or to want to have a better job? Is it wrong? 
Is it wrong to have the desire to have a better job? Is it, is it wrong to have the desire to have a nice house or a good wage? Well, no. In and of themselves, they are, they are honorable and they are good. It's not wrong to have those desires. To want to work hard, to do as well as what we can, to enjoy the benefits of our hard work, that's, that's good. That's all good for us. But let's ask that question a different way. Is it wrong for me to want to have a better job, a nicer house, a bigger wage than Stevie or Stephanie? Well, yes. Now your desire is simply to beat or to better or to compete against or to take from another person. You see the difference? It's not wrong for us to want the desire to, to do well, to, to work hard, to get a good wage, to enjoy that wage. That's, that's good as long as it doesn't take the place of God. But if we're going out to try and compete against one another, to beat one another, to try and take what somebody else has and take it for ourselves, then the desires of our hearts have started to twist and started to corrupt. So here's what Kevin DeYoung says. We have been sometimes referenced in his book. I think this is really helpful for us. He says, the Bible says our problem is not that we desire things, but that we desire the wrong things or desire good things in the wrong way. See that? The Bible says our problem is not that we desire things, but that we desire the wrong things, things that God, have to, that God has told us that we shouldn't, or we desire good things in the wrong way. So as we explore this deeper, what I want us to see is this. We have two points really this morning, and the first is this. Humanity by nature grabs. Humanity by nature grabs. That's, that's who we are. We, we are grabbers. We all are grabbers. We want the grab. What does a child do whenever they're in a shop from their earliest of days? They see something, they want it, they stretch out their arm, and they try and grab it. I was in a shop this week, uh, and a little, uh, a little girl did exactly that, and the mummy had to <laughs> gently reprove the little girl <laughs> as, she, as she grabbed something off the shelf. And I remember doing it whenever I was a little boy. I was obsessed with toy soldiers. And so every shop that mom took me to, my one job was to try and find the aisle that had toy soldiers, the little plastic figurines. And I, I would try and, and get mom to the aisle that had those little plastic figurines because I wanted them, I desired them. Even though I'd got little, hundreds and hundreds of little toy soldiers, I wanted more. I wanted to grab and get the next packet and the next packet and the next packet. And this is who we are as humans. We see with our eyes, then we want in our hearts, and then we grab with our hands. We see, we want, we grab. And the only thing that changes as we get older is that we get better at disguising that. We, we have things like Amazon that we can go on to late at night, uh, and that we can uh, think to ourselves, well, if I just had that one thing, I can go and I can grab it, and I don't even have to go into a shop and let myself down. I can go and grab as many pencils as I want or as many rocky bars as I want. We can go and we can get these things. But as older people, we, we become better at, at hiding it. And we grab for things because others have them, don't we? Think about this. How do, how, did, how do big brands work? What's the big brand mentality? What does it do? Well, doesn't it, in our world now, it pays influencers to share merchandise 
and we see someone with it on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever various social media that we use, and we see someone with a a pair of trainers or a t-shirt or a hoodie or a coat or a hat or whatever it may be, and we desire it. We see it, we desire it, and then we want it. We grab it. It's how advertising has worked since its inception. A beautiful person holding a bottle of Coke with the perfect background, having the best time ever, and other drinks are available, right? We don't just have to use Coca-Cola. But what happens is we, we see it, we desire it, and we want it. You see how it all plays into this natural desire of humanity to grab things? Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. We see, we want, we grab. Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. And so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Where are we here in the New Testament? In Matthew chapter 6, we're in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus stands on another mountain and talks about the law, how we're to live. Just like Moses had received the Ten Commandments at the mountain, here Jesus stands, and in this, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, what we have is Jesus trying to explain to us, to to open up these commandments for us. And this is relevant. This is part of it. We see it, the eye, the eye of the lamp of the body. That is that is where you're healthy. If you, if you think about it, you, you look, you see, you want, you desire, you grab. The eye is the lamp. Or we could think about it another way. Uh, if you think about a house, uh, you think about a, an electrician comes into a house and they wire the house. And whenever you go to the, the back door and you flick the switch, it should put on the light at the back door, shouldn't it? If you flick the switch at the back door and the light comes on in the bedroom, then something's really gone wrong. You've got a really bad electrician. They haven't been able to wire the house properly. And if you think about us as human beings and how we are wired, in Genesis, we were, we were wired perfectly, weren't we? The Lord had given us good desires and good things. We operated properly. But once the fall comes at Genesis chapter 3, Whenever we fall into sin, it's as if our, our wiring gets all confused. It gets, it gets messed up inside us. And instead of wanting good things and wanting to see people prosper and to encourage and to celebrate it whenever other people do well, our wiring has now malfunctioned in our heart. And all we want to do is grab for ourselves. We are selfish by nature. And so this sin lies deep within our hearts. And what we've got to understand is that our hearts, are, our hearts are, if you imagine it, they're like fertile, fertile soil. And the seeds of sin are scattered into this fertile soil all the time. And from this, this soil grows up great sin in our lives. Just like we prayed, our hearts are like little incubators for sin. And so as we think about this, as we think about this sin, what happens? Well, the Lord lays out for, for us in Exodus 20. It plays itself out in many different ways. We, we start to covet another's husband or wife. 
And that leads to adultery. We start to covet another's wealth, and that leads to stealing. We start to covet another's authority, and that leads to dishonoring our parents or to murder. And this should be no surprise for us because it's the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, isn't it? Eve was lured by the serpent. She believed, as it were, the false advertising of the serpent. She desired what he seemed to know. She wanted what God had and who he was. And she saw and she wanted and she grabbed. And so we do it too. And our natural response to, to people doing well, just like we were thinking about with the young people with Charlie, it should be, Charlie, well done. We should celebrate him and, and, and say, that's brilliant that you've done really well. But instead, we want for ourselves. Again, Kevin DeYoung says this. It's a, a quote from his book on the Ten Commandments that you'll find super helpful. He says this. He says, most of us don't stop and notice so that we can give thanks to God for his blessing to others. Whenever somebody else in our life and in our church family does well, often we don't even stop to notice. We don't want to celebrate them. We don't want to encourage them. Instead, he says, we notice and then stop being thankful for all that God has given us. Whenever we see someone else do really well, we stop thinking about all of the good things that God has blessed us with. We see what they've got, and we want it. Our hearts are bent towards grabbing. Neighbors' houses, neighbors' wives or husbands, their male servant or female servant. What does that mean whenever it talks about it in Exodus 20? It really means their business or their job. Their ox, what does that mean? We don't crave ox today. Maybe in the countryside you'd crave some Hurryford cattle or sheep, but we don't really crave ox today. What does that mean? It's their livelihood or their hobby. We crave the things that they have. Their donkey, we don't crave donkeys today, but that would have been their means of transport. And that's relevant, isn't it? We see someone driving a nicer car, we crave it. Or, or anything else Exodus 20 tells us. House, partner, job, livelihood, hobby, means of transport, or anything else. And the Lord knows our heart. And whenever he gives this to Israel... In Exodus chapter 20, they had nothing. Israel were just coming out of slavery. They were a people wandering in the desert. But he knew what lay in store for them. He knew where their hearts would go. He knew where the desire of their hearts would go. And so he gave them this to keep them safe. A fence to keep them within. And the Lord knows our hearts. He knows how sinful our hearts are. And this is how it goes for us. Sentences like this. If only I had... And we fill in the blanks. As we look at someone on Facebook, if only I had their... As we see someone in our street, if only I had their... Then I'd be happy. If only I could get their girlfriend or their boyfriend. If only I had married someone else. If only I had have remained single. If only we were married. If only we had their health. If only we lived in that house. If only we had their wage. If only we had their kids. If only our kids were like their kids. If only we were retired. If only we had their pension plan. You see how it can go on and on and on and on. If only. 
grabbing things. And now, only now, are we starting to pull back the lid on the sewer of our hearts as we see these sins coming out. And what lies at the very bottom of it all is discontentment. Discontentment. We are not content. You see, to state this commandment positively would to say, be content. Do not covet. Be content. So let's start to think about how we can work this in our lives. How do we start to correct this? Well, Philippians chapter 4 and 10 through 13 says this. Listen to these words. Paul's talking about contentment in Philippians 4 and 10. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you've had no opportunity. Then verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What do we see about contentment? It doesn't just happen for us. It's not just downloaded into us. We have to learn contentment. And so with the boys and girls, we've got to learn if we've just got a a pencil or two rockies or two pounds. We've got to learn contentment. It doesn't come easy to us. We've got to work at this. Whatever the Lord has given to me, just like we started with, the lines have fallen in pleasant places. Lord, if you have given me much or if you have given me little, I have learned in, in plenty and in little to be content. Humanity, us by nature, want to grab. But instead, we've got to see that we need to be content. And how can we do that? And it's our second point, and it's much shorter. We can only do that by saying that God is the good giver. That God is the good giver. He gives. Doesn't the Bible tell us that, that if we ask our Father for, in heaven for something, for something good, He's not going to give us a, a snake or a scorpion? What do we believe about our God? This morning, do we believe that He is the one who gives us good gifts? That He's the one who, who gives us all that we need, that supplies our every need? Or, or do we not? Do we have faith in God? Look at how Jesus speaks to the disciples. Verse 25 of chapter 6. Do we have faith in God that He will meet our every need? The disciples were struggling. Jesus, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat and what you will drink. Those are really hard words for us, aren't they? Lord, how, how can we not be anxious about, about tomorrow, about today? But he uses this wonderful illustration, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And who feeds them? Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? See what the Lord is saying to us. Don't be covering one another's goods. Don't be looking to grab at one another. 
Instead, trust fully and completely in our Lord. Don't try and tear from one another. You will, you will tear one another apart. Your relationships will fracture. You will not have unity within a church family. You'll not love one another as my people if all you do is look over one another's fences and desire what's on the other side. But instead, trust together. Trust your Father in heaven. You're of much more value than the birds. And so whenever the person in our church family does really well and gets the promotion or, or manages to get the best pension plan out, whatever that may be, and for anybody who's under 40, we'll never retire, but <laughs> for all of those above that have got it, great. What we should say to one another is, that's wonderful. That's amazing. I'm so glad to see you doing well. Whenever some of our young people this week have graduated, we should be putting an arm around them and saying, well done. Congratulations. The Lord bless you as you go. And on the flip side of that, those whom the Lord has blessed, what should we do? We should bless other people within our church family, shouldn't we? We should look out for one another, bless one another. You see how this commandment is, is radically practical for our relationships amongst one another? Because if we look over the fence at each other and we start to covet and start to desire, what we will do is we will tear each other apart. We'll hate one another. There'll be bitterness and twistedness amongst us. And so what, what's my appeal to us this morning from Scripture? It's not to look horizontally at, at the different things that people have and desire those. It's what C.S. Lewis says. He says that you're, you're far too easily pleased if, if all that you want is the, is the thing that someone else has. Instead, how does our passage end? Verse 33, seek what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What should we seek? We should seek contentment. And where do we find that? In our Savior. We should seek for love and mercy and forgiveness and grace. And where do we find those things? In our Savior. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See the pointlessness to it all? But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then the punch, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jane Wilkin in her little book talks about how whenever it comes, we come to this commandment, we today sitting here are the, the projection of the things that we've been thinking about for the past 30 days. It's a scary thought, isn't it? The things that we have treasured in the past 30 days, they're the things that we project to other people. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And sometimes now, as we think about this, we do, we do start to doubt, can God provide for me? Can He? Can He help me to be content? Well, the context of this again, Exodus 20, let's think about what the Lord had done. In Exodus 16, so before Exodus 20, in verse 4, he said this, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and everyone will have 
enough. Acts of the 17, he provides water. If we go even further back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, what does the Lord provide? He comes in the garden. Genesis 3, 21, the Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. He provides for them a covering, a foreshadowing of the covering that will come in Jesus. And and you see, we could go through the Scriptures and we could see what does the Lord provide for His people time and time again. He provides water. He provides bread. He provides His Son. He provides salvation. He provides new life. He gives us a new identity. Isn't that good news for us as sinners? He gives us a new story. He gives us a new heart. He gives us new desires. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He provides for us time and time and time again in ways that we can never provide for ourselves. He gives us salvation in His Son, provision. Our God active, saving a people from Genesis all the way through the Bible to today. Provision, spiritual provision, our sins forgiven, washed away in the Son new hearts given to us, new records given to us, righteousness given to us. The Lord provides. He provides again and again and again. And what will He provide one day for us? The new earth, where we will dwell with Him forever. You see, the Lord has given us much, hasn't He? and yet there's much more still to come. He's given us much, and there's much more still to come. So as we start to tackle this sin, as it were, we we start the strimmer, and we take it into the fertile soil of our hearts, and we, we start to mow off the sin. And then we take the weed killer, and, and we pour it over the little shoots of sin in our lives. And the only way we can do that with this commandment is to look to Jesus, to see what we have in Him. And as we see what we have in Jesus, then we are content. Lord, I have, I have everything I need. What's my only hope in life and death? That I am yours. As I walk through this world, will I have enough? Well, yes, I will, because you're my good shepherd. I will make you lie down in green pastures, and I will lead you beside still waters. I will restore your soul. Even though you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for I am with you. My rod and my staff, they will bring you comfort. Why? Because I am a warrior king who will defeat your enemies with the rod. And with the staff, I will draw you back into my love. I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I will anoint your head with oil. The Lord perfuming us. Surely my cup will overflow all the days of my life. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Not just for a day, but forever. The Lord has been so good to us. All that we need, found in Him. Do we trust Him for this? 
Let us not look to one another today, but let us look to Him. I'll close with these words from John 4 and verse 14. Jesus says this, and as He does this, He extends an invitation to come. For all of us here today, I think we need to come to Him again today. Maybe you're here today, and you need to come to Him for the first time. Will you come, and will you take this invitation from John 4? But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then those words that we read earlier through our prayer, John 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Lord is all that we need. Praise him that we have a Savior who meets our heart's desire and in whom we can be satisfied forever. Let's pray.